excited to share with you the next message of our Promises series. The last couple of weeks, we've been able to walk through what some of the promises that we see of God towards his people in Scripture. And I'm going to bring us into this next promise. Today's message is titled, Forever Victorious. The song that our awesome worship team was sharing before, if you listen to the words, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. I want to ask you and invite you for a quick moment to think about the last time God failed you. I'm not saying, think about the last time you were sad. Think about the last time you were angry. Think about the last time that something you wanted you didn't get. I'm asking you to consider the last time that God let you down. It's a tough question. Because you might be going through your situations right now, and we're tempted to say what? How could a God who says he is so good allow these things to happen in my life, right? We're only human, right? I was speaking to someone recently, and we were talking about how I am very sensitive to the theology of lyrics of music. When I was little, I would boast that because I was a musician, that I didn't listen to the words of songs, and if it got me moving, I was good with it. And as I started to grow and mature in the word, I realized that the excellence or the high um, talent of musicianship mattered so much less than what we were saying. And this is coming from a guy, I've been on stages, I've been as a drummer, I've been paid to do it. And, I, and once my heart started changing with that, I realized why my mother would write the lyrics to every church song that she would hear. And it was so that she would go back home and she would comb through every word to make sure that what she was yelling out of her mouth as worship to the Father was something that he would receive as fragrant before him. And I was telling this person that I was listening to a song the other day where it was like, God gracefully breaks you. He doesn't break you to hurt you. He breaks you gracefully. Friends, unfortunately, that's wrong. It sounds nice though, right? God breaks you gracefully. Yes, he breaks you with grace. But sometimes he breaks us to hurt us. Sometimes, friends, we have been so stubborn that we need to be broken. And from that same rubble, right, because we see that he takes that same ash and gives us a crown of beauty from that same rubble. Because that's the power and the sovereignty of the God that we serve. God doesn't walk into any battle where he is not victorious. The battle in your life that you're engaged in right now, God has to be invited into that. But in his being invited into your situation, he already has the victory. Sounds nice. Do we believe it? Do we believe it? 
Some of you, and I know this because I have pastoral privilege. Mind your business, I'm not going to tell you why. <laughs> Still my favorite sermon that we preach here at One Life. Mind your business. It's in the Bible. Some of you are going through some hard times right now. I've shared tears with some of you. And my question to you as you continue to engage in your situation is, have you honestly and genuinely invited God into your situation? We might have family issues, which isn't foreign to any of us. You may have a relational issue. You may be here by yourself today. Because you're praying that God would come into your battlefield with the person you're with and that he would restore and gain their heart back. Some of you are struggling at home with children. Some of you are struggling at work with your coworkers. You're ready to quit. You don't know where God is leading you, where he's sending you. The people you work with, you are struggling to love them, but you know that there's a reason why God has you there. It's a battlefield. Everything about our life is a battlefield. In some ways, even the house of God is a battlefield. At some point in your Christian life, you may come to the church and not want to sit next to somebody that you don't really like. That's a battlefield. I pray that you get over that. Because as family, right, with my, with my little brother, there's only two of us. If I fight with my little brother, he's... 32, he's not that little, but he's my little brother. If I and my 32-year-old brother engage in an argument, it doesn't last very long because I have one brother. I have one brother, and I understand that not only as a believer, but also as a brother, the fact that he's my blood, I am to engage with him in reconciliation. I invite you, friends, to constantly be reconciled to the people that you find yourself in battle with. Because we are the testimony of the Almighty God who is forever victorious. But we get to be the hands and the feet of God. What an honor. What a privilege. If you're new to this house, I'm going to share something with you that I share very often with the church family here at One Life. And it's that in your saying that you are a Christian, you do not come to this house just to sit in the seats to receive and go back until your cup feels empty enough for you to return. You come to this house because you want to lift up a worship to the God who put a breath in your lung this morning. See, that's how we need to gauge the Lord. You don't get up without him saying you get up. You don't breathe without him saying you don't, you, you don't breathe or you do breathe. He is sovereign in that way as well. Will you turn with me to the book of Numbers? I want to demonstrate something to you. And we're going to kind of just stick to this one story today. Numbers chapter 13, verse 25. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible right in the, under the seat in front of you. You're welcome to grab that. If you'd like to take it with you, please do so. Otherwise, you can follow me here on the screens. Numbers chapter 13, verse 25. And it says... At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. 
Verse 28 says, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up and gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we go, we have gone to spy it out, is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people that we saw in it of great height. Let me give you some background of what's happening here. At this point, the Jews have been in the desert for years and God has finally spoken about what he wants next for them. We know obviously that the Jews, that Israel was roaming in the desert after their liberation for how many years? For 40 years, right? In chapter 13, God asks Moses to send spies into Canaan. The city promised to the Jews are also known as the promised land, Canaan. In Numbers, if you're there in chapter 13, verse 1 and 2 says, The Lord spoke to Moses. So this is before what we just read. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. If you have a pen with you or using on your phone, can you highlight that for me? I'm going to read it again. Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. We're going to come back to that. So God instructs spies from each of these 12 tribes to go into the city of Canaan. And Moses tells them to remain there for 40 days. And then to submit a report of what they find upon the return. And that's what we're reading. This land has plenty. There is good fruit in this land. But there are also people of high stature. They're big. The Canaanites were known to be a giant people. A people of a lot of military strength. They were strong. Their culture was a strong culture. Their military, because they were a large people, a military culture. I grew up playing football. And you knew... The districts and the cities that had the small teams, and you weren't afraid of those. But then when you would hear about, and even Baldwin, Baldwin growing up, Baldwin played in a div different division than I. But Baldwin football was, they were huge kids. And so I always, I remember feeling like, I'm just, I'm just glad we don't play Baldwin kids. Because they were known to be large so when they send the spies into Canaan and they see that, yes, there's a reason for why God would send me into that land. It's a, it's a city that's flowing milk and honey, but the people that are there who we would have to take over, they're scary. Has God called you to a place where you know there will be provision? You understand why God has called you to that place, but it's a little scary? So you, you almost start talking yourself down from what God has called you into. And I shared this with my mother the other day in discipleship. Delayed obedience 
Delayed obedience is disobedience. God doesn't need a cushion of time to call you into something. When he calls you into something, he doesn't need you to be ready and courageous enough to take on these Canaanites. Delayed obedience is disobedience. If he's called you into it, and we said this two weeks ago, if he's called you into something, he's already provided for it. He's ready to resource you as he knows you need. Remember what we said two weeks ago, right? He's what? He's more than enough. Has that blessed anybody in the last couple weeks? He's more than enough. You wake up empty. You go to sleep empty. You go to work empty. You come home. There's nothing more you can give you feel like. And yet what? He's more than enough. And we serve a God who we know as his promise is good, that he fulfills his promises and he's forever victorious. So what we read before in chapter 13, let's go back quickly. In their report, they said, yes, we understand why God would send us here and why he would say that this was a land that would produce wealth for us. But we're scared. But they were forgetting something that we read in chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. In the first verse of chapter 13, we are seeing a huge clue to what was missed by these 12 spies. God had already said what? Which I am giving to the people of Israel. He says, send spies to this city that I'm already going to give you. Isn't that funny? So when we think about spies militarily, right, we're thinking, we're thinking about the armed forces, that we're sending people out and we, like every other country, has spies all around the world. It's to test the land and see how the people works, what the threats are. But imagine doing that in a battle context, in a war context, knowing that you already won that war. Send spies to spy out a land that I already gave you. It's already yours. So what did they have to do, friends? All they had to do was not delay their obedience. God had already given them this land. It was already done. The battle you find yourself in, that you're inviting God into, it's already done. That's God's promise. It's already done. How it happens, when it's going to happen, when you're going to see the fruit of it, let God be sovereign. Because if you could fit God into your braid and into your timeline, he wouldn't deserve to be called God. When we invite the Lord into our circumstance, the battle is already won. So we see that they've been promised this land. But they refuse to leave the comfort of their wilderness. They refuse to leave the comfort of their wilderness. I know we have the kids in the house. Please don't be distracted by them. Lord, when you settle our children, I want, I want to make sure that you listen to this. The reason why they were discouraged and distracted was because they found comfort in their wilderness. It was 40 years that Israel spent in the desert. In 40 years, you see numerous what? You see numerous generations. When you think about 40 years of your life, I'm not there yet, God bless. Five more years, pray for me. 
But when you think about the 40 first years or the last couple of years of your life, 40 years, a lot has happened. Generations have turned over a couple of times. Israel, including these spies, and what they chose out was of the 12 tribes of Israel, they chose the best, the strongest to come out and spy for each one of their tribes. And the strongest, the best and the strongest were the ones who came back what? They came back afraid, discouraged. Because when they're called, in what we read before, when they're called, when Caleb, it says 30, verse 30, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. What a leader. Let's go now. No delay in obedience. If God said it's ours, then let's run now and occupy it. So among the weak, there are some that you might find that say, hey, the Lord has spoken. Let's run now and occupy it. We are well able to overcome it. Friend, you are well able to overcome it. Numbers chapter 13, verse 3. It says, so Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel, what we said before. These were heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. And these were the people who were supposedly in leadership but expressed this great fear. But how many times has that been us, that God has called us to do things that we know is going to be uncomfortable? But we're unwilling to step out of the comfort of our wilderness. Some of you, some of us have been lost for so long perhaps that health is what seems foreign. Because at least I know my wilderness. Remember that in these 40 years of Israel being in the desert, there were many times that they cursed Moses and said, you should have left us in, in captivity because at least there we knew what we were going to eat and what we were going to drink. They preferred their, their captivity. In this case, now God is leading them finally towards the promised land and they're now preferring to be in the wilderness. They have their eyes on the promised land, but they prefer the comfort of the wilderness. The reign of the Canaanites was finally over, and it was time for Israel to step in what God had promised them. Anybody good at math here? No? Yeah? I'm going to... Oh, don't do that to me. I'm not great at math, but I, I sat down and I did some numbers that I want to share with you. The Jews roaming the desert. Have you ever wondered why it took 40 years for the Jews to roam in the desert? That's a long time. One might think the reason it took 40 years was because the distance was far. Is that right? There weren't trains, there weren't airplanes, there weren't buses. Maybe it just took 40 years to travel that distance. Let me prove that wrong right now. Israel in the desert, a science class, a mathematics class, and a geography class. It took 40 years to get from Egypt to Canaan, traveling north. From Egypt to Canaan is approximately 5,270 miles. That's 131 miles they traveled per year. 
Because they're Jews, we know what? We know that they are unable to labor or walk, right? To do too much lifting on what? The Sabbath. So if you remove Sabbath days, which is sundown on Friday, I'm going to speak to you in the context of the Roman calendar, which we follow. From sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, you're removing that day. That leaves us with what? Six workable days, right? Of the week. 312 labor days per year, excluding the Sabbath. That meant that for 131 years, divided by 312 labor days, I asked you if you like math, that means they walked less than half a mile a day. Zero point four two miles per day. I don't count my steps like some of you do, but I know I, I do. I do more than half a mile now. But the point was that it wasn't about distance. The reason why Israel was going in circles in the desert was because of disobedience. Because God couldn't bring them to the place that he had created for them to be fruitful for them because they were disobedient. Think about how many times Israel in the wilderness turned away from God. God finally says, I have a plan. There's a land that I want to give you, but you're unwilling to say yes. Why? Because you don't want to be discomforted. I need us to sit there for a little bit. We've shared week after week and particularly in our Bible studies recently because we're going through the book of Matthew that saying yes to Christ is to say yes to discomfort. Don't ever allow anybody in their theology, their theology of progression or a theology of God's provision only to swindle you into thinking that saying yes to Jesus means the end of your bad days. That's false. Because it's obvious that we serve a God of wrath. And when there, is a, when there is disobedience, there is correction from the Lord. If you go to Numbers chapter 14, verse 30 to 34, I want to read that with you. Verse 30 says, Not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell. Here is God being upset at the, the, the disobedience, excuse me, of the people. Except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and uh, Joshua, the son of Nun. But your little ones who you said would become a prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. What does that mean? That what God has promised us, what God has called you into, this land that he called them into because of their disobedience and their inability to walk out of their comfort zones, God curses them. And tells them that you won't see the promised land, but your offspring will. 31 again, but your little ones who you said would become a prey, I will bring in and they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. You tell me that God only breaks us without hurting us. And your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and shall suffer for your faithlessness. 
until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness, according to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity 40 years, and you shall know my displeasure. I don't want us to leave here thinking that what God calling us to and us being disobedient, that he's just going to take it and be okay with it. The last portion of what we just read, and you shall know my displeasure. God curses this people. He promised to be faithful, and they were disobedient. And let's not read this. Let's not look at scripture and think like, well, yeah, in the book of Numbers, we're talking about the Old Testament. That's the old God. But then Jesus came, satisfied all of that. Wait, listen. Jesus came and satisfied the law. But we are still called to be obedient. When God comes into your heart and calls you into repentance and you say no. But then the minute something happens in your life, you come crawling back and say, you were not a good God. You never accepted me. You never received me. You never fellowshiped with me. You never invited me into your battle. And now you want to blame me that you don't see victory. It's still the same God. The battles still look the same. If you look at David's life, the, the drama, the family drama that he went through is worse or similar to your Thanksgiving dinners. Drama. I have to admit, Dad, I know my dad is in the back. God bless you. But I remember when I used to stay home alone, if I was sick or something, or for whatever reason, they used to leave us home alone and I was in high school or something. I remember Jerry Springer. Ricky Lake. Old school for me. I'm not 40 yet, remember? But just watching these stories of nonsense... And it's funny because when you read scripture particularly, and I use David's life because you see the brokenness that his family went through because of the decisions that David made. And you read these stories, the sin that his family was engaged in, and you think, wow, like this could totally be on TV right now. This could be a movie. But you know why? It's because scripture is still applicable to life today. This isn't just a book of stories. It's an encouragement, but it's also a warning to us of what God can do in his displeasure when we're disobedient. At Canaan, they had a chance to enter into the promised land, all of those who were there. But because they preferred, once again, the comfort of their wilderness, God made a judgment. He established that no one left, no one who left Egypt would live to see the promised land, only their descendants. Because God is still going to fulfill his own promise. He didn't remove Canaan from them. He just punished those who refused to be obedient. But their descendants were able to see the promised land. God is forever victorious. Deuteronomy chapter 20 verse 4 says, For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies. To do what? To give you the victory. No one else in your life can promise you to walk into a fight with you to deliver you victory. They can only promise you the loyalty of fighting with you. And that's already a good friend. 
what God can do is he can promise to join you in battle and deliver. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. How does God deliver us victory? Through Christ. This is God's promise in Scripture that we need not doubt. Victory is already ours. And victory is yours through Jesus Christ. I'm not sure what you're battling in this season, but if you take the example of God's faithfulness to Israel, who constantly disobeyed him and disappointed him and brought him displeasure, and yet he was still faithful, I'll invite you to test his promises in your life. Test God's promises in your life. But what is our part in God's promise? We must believe that he fulfills his promises, which means what? That we have to have faith. We must remain in him, and we see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. We have to be willing to obey him. Even if it goes counter to our comfort, to our preferences, to our cultures, we must obey. Yes, it will be uncomfortable, but we, we must trust in his promise that he is forever victorious. I really pray that in some way this affects you today, family. You don't serve a God that loses. You serve, if you serve God, you serve a God that is victorious. Your situation, amen, praise God. Your situation has been won. Will you close your eyes? Mm -hmm.